This episode of Overtired is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. While they do not endorse the use of cocaine, other drugs, alcohol, or various life choices discussed in this episode, they do want you to listen to this show and these hosts and live vicariously, dangerously through them. Learn more about Cards Against Humanity at cardsagainsthumanity.com, where you too can become a horrible person. Whoa, you're listening to Overtired. This is uh, Christina Warren and Brett Terpstra on ESN. How's it going, Christina? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm tired. I'm tired, Brett. And I know you're tired, so we're going to talk about we're, we're tired again. Isn't that what this show is really about? It really is. It's all it's about... It's not about the kids. It's about the no, insomnia. It is about the insomnia. It's not about the kids. It's not totally about Taylor Swift. It's not about the movies, mostly. Oh, that reminds me. Just, we're going to talk about Gaga today. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Fantastic. Uh, she was great on the Oscars. Uh, but, the Oscars? Uh, the Oscars. Is, is that when yeah, Gawker t- takes over the Oscars? Don't even joke about that. That's not even <laughs> funny. Okay, it's a little funny. No, see, this is how tired I am. I can't even say the Oscars. I understand. I haven't slept for over 24 hours now. But you know why? Okay, why? Here's, what, here's what I just realized before we started talking, and it made me really happy, is I never lose sleep because I'm angry. I never lose sleep because I'm concerned. I only lose sleep out of pure joy of, like, working on something I'm really enjoying. That's when I stay up. I don't stay up to meet deadlines. Screw deadlines. <laughs> deadlines yeah and for me it's like um sometimes it's deadlines but most of the time it's either i can't sleep or there's a bunch of really good stuff on tv see i've spent a lot of time uh training myself to teach my brain to fall asleep so when i'm having like racing thoughts or i'm really worried about something i'm able to shut it off but what i can't stop yes is a good idea I just, my, my brain will not let me squelch a good idea. I have to, like, get up and play with it. Yeah. Yeah, that ha- that, I wish that happened to me more. I mean, most of the time, a lot of my insomnia, and like you, I can usually turn off the massive, like, racing thoughts, anxiety sort of thing. I've gotten pretty good at that, although sometimes that will persist. But a lot of times when my insomnia is bad, it's either not related to anything or... I end up making it worse, not by capitalizing on it, by doing positive things and being productive while I can't sleep. Um, if it's like, you know, late night, late at night or early in the morning, but I wind up doing things like reading stuff online or reading a book or watching, you know, Orange is the New Black for, again, for some reason on Netflix or, or, or whatever. Like I, I wind up just, or RuPaul's Drag Race has a marathon and before I know it, it's six in the morning and I haven't slept. Yeah, well, and see, do you find a difference though between reading a book and watching TV? Like when I, when you say a book, you mean paper? Yeah. Because or, like or, books or, or, or always Kindle. put me to sleep. Kindle, uh, the blue light kills me and Kindle is less with the blue light, but any kind of light emitting screen makes me stay awake but paper puts me to sleep yeah. in like seven pages yeah that's true and, and paper does does you're right I, I have an easier time with paper the problem is is that most of the time when this is happening my husband actually is asleep next to me so i can't have the paper okay i have tips for you okay okay first tip uh hunting headlamps with red filters it's what the military uses so to be undetectable because red filters don't 
disturb your sleep patterns or your bedmates' sleep patterns. So you can't, my wife, this is how she reads because I tend to fall asleep and she reads till like midnight. Um, but she just puts on the head lamp and then reads. She doesn't have to go under the covers or anything. It totally, I can fall asleep to it, no problem. Awesome. Okay, number two. I, I've learned, I, 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 it was some like uh, app on the phone that first gave me the idea on my iPhone, but um, it's static. If, you, if you're having thoughts that you can't let go of and you like, you just, you can't even start to think about sleeping yet. If you make this like white noise, you just pretend you're turning a radio dial on in your brain. Yes. It's not something you focus on or like consciously. Right. You just tell yourself there's white noise and like you just fill your brain with static and you have to kind of hold it for long enough, but pretty soon the subconscious thoughts start creeping in and then you're halfway to sleep. Yeah, that, that actually, that's a good point. Cause what I used to do when I was younger, especially is I used to picture you know, people talk about things like counting cheap. And really what that is, is, is doing your, your white noise exercise. But what I used to do is I used to picture myself climbing um, like a ladder on the jungle, like a ladder up to the, the, the um, uh, monkey bars on the playground. There was um, like the, this longer ladder. And I used to think about just climbing and climbing and climbing like all the way through the clouds, through the top of the sky. And for some reason that imagery which clearly i came up with in elementary school based on what it's from is one of those things that if if uh my 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 thoughts are racing and i can't and it's not you know based on something else where i'm like i'm just not going to get to sleep but but my thoughts are racing and other things are happening i can go to that place and it has the same effect on me where i have that kind of white noise type of thing where i'm just kind of in the trance of picturing myself climbing up these these monkey bars yeah it makes a lot of sense um because it's something that you you take a certain amount of like happy feeling in, but it's also something that you kind of know innately. Like it was something you memorized as a kid, so you don't have to concentrate on it. Exactly. And you just think about like getting higher and higher. Like for me, it's just kind of the monotony of the whole thing, which is kind of, again, kind of similar to the white noise thought. Um, I used to also just try to think about total blackness, just try to focus on total, See, that's total blackness. that's too hard for me. Like when I first tried meditation and they wanted me to clear my mind, that I can't seem to do, but I can fill it up. I can I can repeat a mantra endlessly, but that doesn't seem to help. Have you have you heard of my sleep button? I have not. Okay, this is cool. Um, I don't know how to say his last name, but my friend Luke, um, he made an app based on new science that basically every like fifteen seconds it says a word. And there are multiple ways you can use it, but my favorite one is you in your brain, you have a pencil and you draw whatever the word is. And then 15 seconds later, it interrupts your thought and you start drawing something else. So it keeps you focused away from your own thoughts, but disrupts you often enough that you don't get into the cognitive grooves. And it actually, it works cool yeah i it's uh it's free on the ice on the i'm so tired itunes store it's on the app store yeah that's what it's called the itunes app store and uh, it's called my sleep button and i will link it link it in the show notes i think i might have been pitched this and i didn't know what it was i think but no this sounds awesome cool so okay that's very cool what just what oh never mind i got it figured out um, I copied the link and it had all kinds of crazy 
Google stuff on it, and then I realized I clicked it from my own site. <laughs> I did that to myself. Um, yeah. So here's here's what I did last night. Um, this will probably get edited because I might ramble. But okay, so marked has gotten to a point where it has too many options. Yes, you were saying that you're saying you're looking at like taking stuff out because it's too complicated. Here's a better idea. I made uh, an intro screen that asks you a series of two. Multiple, two choice questions. So you're faced with two buttons and it asks you very clearly, you know, are you a coder or are you a writer? And then once you go into writer, you can still, you know, add things like syntax highlighting if you want. But you go through a path and it's never more than three screens long. So six choices. And it groups all the common like preferences that are related into a single button. Like you can now nice. configure. Uh, this will be hopefully in the next version, but it's also... The I got way too deep into the... I designed it in HTML and then mm-hmm. linked it so you can click buttons and, and, uh, and change preferences in the Cocoa app. Right. And I will have to show this to you because it's gorgeous. It's all animated and bright colors and flat buttons and it's good. That's fantastic. In fact, I looked at it after a short nap, uh, almost a nap, and I still mm-hmm. liked it. And that usually means I did all right. Yeah, that, that's that's one of my things too. Like after I write something or do something, I'm like, if I still like it after I've woken up or had some some, some time to think on it, I know it's good because that's the only problem with having like these great ideas when you're really tired is that sometimes in your head they're better than they actually are. Totally, it's an acid trip, and it, it is, and 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 you're so sleep deprived that you're thinking, oh well, this is this is brilliant, this is fantastic, and then you actually get there and you're like, hmm, actually. Actually, guys, no. So this is not what we're looking for. Uh, but sometimes it have real miracles. But what's interesting to me, so this week I had a ton of, Monday especially, it was an incredibly busy day because of the Apple Watch event. And then when it ended up being the MacBook event, it was a really busy day at work covering the event, writing news stories, doing media hits, all kinds of stuff. And then Monday night was also the finale of uh, The Bachelor, which <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, my nutritionist Terrible. was telling me all about that today, and she was so embarrassed that she knew all about it. But See, this season was crazy. This season was really good. So I actually feel better that like your nutritionist, who seems like a respectable person, was watching. Because I was, I'd come to terms with my own addiction to the show, and Grant was like just pretending like it wasn't happening. And um, that I was live tweeting about it, and really invested this season for some reason they're going to be two bachelorettes brett it's amazing it's like the first time they've ever done that and it's going to be like bachelorette survivor is that like when chris hardwick lets all three contestants go through to ftw exactly exactly and so it's that's exactly what it's like um no but basically these two bachelorettes are going to be battling it out for the affections of the dudes that are trying to compete for them, like those dudes are going to decide which one gets to be the bachelorette, like because the producers couldn't decide between these two girls. So they're like, well, let's just make this even worse for you. Let's just make you feel even more potentially rejected um, by by making it a bake off. But regardless, putting that aside, Monday was 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 busy as hell. Like it was just insanely busy. And I didn't make it any better on myself because I slept late on Sunday. I took a nap and then I was basically awake the entire night. and. I didn't get any sleep and I had a huge busy work day that didn't end until like one o'clock in the morning because of the bachelor and everything else. And then I had to be at some media hit early on, on Tuesday morning and had all this other stuff. And so I was running basically, you know, on like 
36 hours no sleep. And um, I have to say, I was so freaking productive on Monday. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. It was to the point that, I mean, it's not sustainable, but I kind of remembered why I used to not like to sleep very much because I got so much more done. I was so fast, which I've, I've kind of gotten slow over the last few years because I don't write as much breaking news because stuff anymore. Sleep too much. It is because I sleep too much. And, and um, I mean, for instance, when the, the new MacBook was announced, you know, um, Mark Gurman from 9to5Mac had leaked basically all the details that he had leaked were basically dead on except for the Touch ID part, which, you know, it, it seems like it seems reasonable that that was something they were considering. Um, I, do think I, I do think that everybody who has ever doubted that his sources are legit or that he has real connections really needs to eat crow right now and, and admit that this kid... And I say that with like all respect. Um, I, I think his youth is a huge asset to him. Um, but th- that kid is incredibly well connected and an incredibly good, um, good at what he does. Um, because he broke that story that no other uh, news organization broke, and he had the details spot on. Uh, but anyway, um, is it weird that I don't like reading the like people's predictions? No, it's not. But he didn't do that as a prediction. He like a couple of months ago said, "This is what the new MacBook is going to look like." Yeah, but I see. I enjoy so much the keynote surprises. Oh, I agree with you. And in I agree recent with you. years, it's gotten really bad where I know everything ha- that's going to happen before it happens. Oh, oh, without a doubt. And and unfortunately, my job, you know, means that I have to kind of predict things and be ready. And part of that is is honestly just like a work related thing. Like when you're covering an event live, you want to know as much about what's happening beforehand because you're expected to write about it and and get news out to people on the fly. So you can't it helps me to not be surprised um, because I can pre-write things. But anyway, in this case, I didn't even re I didn't even pre-write the the MacBook rumor. I mean, I kind of had something there in case they reveal the new MacBook, but I was not expecting the new one to be announced on Monday. I was expecting, and this gets inside baseball for, for people who want to know kind of how, you know, the quote unquote journalism, tech journalism process works. But I was truly expecting that that was going to happen, but they were going to save it for WWDC. I figured on Monday what they would announce would be spec bumps to the MacBook uh, Pro and the MacBook Air. And they actually did do that. Um, the 13-inch MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air both got speed bumps. Um, the the 15-inch did not because the quad-core um, chips are not yet available from Intel. Well, but so anyway, my, my recent purchase is not in vain. No. Oh, did you just get a 15-inch MacBook Pro? Yeah, I did, just like two weeks yeah. ago. Okay, well, yeah, you're not in vain at all. They're going to have to wait probably until June because Intel is slow on the Broadwell quad-core chips. Nobody knows where they are or what's going on with them. Anyway, um, so, you know, I had I had pre-writing stories. The HBO Next thing, first of all, took us completely. That was uh, awesome. Or HBO Now thing, that was awesome. It's only three-month exclusive, but it's still cool. But that took us completely by surprise. And our normal media guy was on an interview. He was on a phone call, and so he wasn't able to write it. So I wrote that immediately. And then um, I'd already kind of like been assigned the MacBook story when that happened, but I was not expecting, like I said, this this huge, you know, brand new design and everything. Well, the news comes out, we get the news hit out immediately, and then I'm literally writing and back updating the post as the information is being processed at the keynote. Like I'm literally like writing it in real time and then updating the post every couple of minutes so that, you know, people can see it and see that the details as it's coming. And so by the time the, 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 the keynote thing was done, the post had been on the site for about half an hour and, and all the details were there. But like, that's stressful. And it, there's also a sense of adrenaline involved with that. Um, and 
I was like, then I had all kinds, I had to do an analysis. I wrote a really good analysis actually of what the, of why they redesigned the, the MacBook and, and, um, you know, um, everybody made the inevitable comparison to the 2008 MacBook Air, but I think my analysis post amazingly, everybody had that insight. I wasn't original in that, but I think that my analysis, I was done with it early enough because I had a, a CNN hit, um, that I think it actually was one of the first ones out there to make that connection. Um, which again, I'm usually, I'm not, I'm not as fast as I used to be. So the fact that I got that out so quickly and like cognizantly, I was like, holy crap. How, how much on my sleep game. did you have at that point? Oh, at that point I hadn't had sleep in like 30 hours. See, that's, that's where, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. And I too. don't, I don't do it all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I do sleep and I'll sleep yeah. for weeks. Well, on end, but, uh, when I get those like kind of manic, not, not manic, like unhealthy, right. just like, like great ideas. And I just want to do this and I stay up. It's right between that 24 and 30 hour spot where my brain just kind of falls into a groove and I'm just able to get things done amazingly fast. And then about yes. five hours later, it all goes to hell. And I start doing that. Like when you write poetry on acid thing and yes, you're yes, wake and up you're and like, regret you're, it. it. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Well, see, for me, though, I didn't I just got a second wind and I was still doing good stuff. Like I had to force myself, try to force myself to go to sleep that night. And then I, I had an early hit that morning. So I had to be up early but it was um i was reminded like i'm 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 rambling like a maniac now but i was i I was reminded by like how much sleep sucks (laughs) i mean it's great but it's like i wish that i didn't have to do it because sometimes that lack of sleep really does give me this sort of energy boost and kind of you know like high and like productivity boost that my god it's fantastic when it happens i know see i wish i could find a happy medium because i do enjoy a good sleep when I wake yes. up and I feel good and I can tackle the day, but then I'm slow. I'm like groggy yes. then. But like, I wish I could get this kind of uh, just focus yes. without needing drugs, you know, just like yes. have this focus and still be able to get sleep that is yes. going to guarantee that I don't die, you know, before I'm 50. Right. I mean, that's my whole thing. And the thing is, is that I, I'm not on them right now, but I've, I've taken um, stimulants, you know, um, for, for focus and, and, and for anxiety for about 15 years. And I'm not on them right now because my blood pressure was kind of, and, and my heart Holy rate was shit, kind of going through the roof. I just got put on like uh, meds for both cholesterol and blood pressure yesterday. Wow. I've been peeing a lot. They put me on like statins and I don't even know what they are. I read all the instructions though. And I'm, I'm in trouble though. Yeah, well, for me, it was like my, my standing heart rate was like 130. And, you know, that's just ridiculous. And, and so I was concerned about my blood pressure and my, my heart rate and other stuff. And so, um, and, and then I didn't really need them for the anxiety stuff anymore. But, um, and I have to say a lot of the effect of the stimulants had kind of worn off um, in terms of a, effect, um, yeah, yeah um, because, you know, I've been on them for so long. But I have to say, like, the, 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 the sleep-focused stuff, like, the lack of sleep-focused stuff is so much better than any stimulant I've ever been on. It really on. is. Like, it's, it's better than Provigil, even, and Provigil is, like, the best. Like, it's, it's it, and it's, it's nuts. It's, like... Well, it's I weird because that... it works because you're making your brain tired enough that it can focus instead of amping it up so much that it can focus. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, for me, it, it's very much that I just don't have the energy to be distracted, and I just stay yeah. focused and get it done. Yeah, that's that's a good point because for me, a lot of times I do think it is like distractions. Like I'm not ADD in the in the traditional traditional sense. Everyone's ADD to some extent. Every, well, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying like I'm not to the point where like at least 
I, I've had medical induced ADD before, but I'm not to the point where like I can genuinely be like. Is that what they call smoking pot now? <laughs> no, I mean I've been on medicine that like one of the side effects has genuinely been that it like made me like a real ADD like couldn't focus for two seconds like. Wow. Probably like and that would have been in high school but... it was terrible. I mean, in general, though, but I can be distracted easily and I can be kind of, you know, pulled away from things and it can be hard. You know, I've got to really force myself sometimes to like, you know, like, you know, clamp down and do it. But yeah, when the tiredness happens, it's just like the focus is there and it's so good. Okay. So good. So here's what happens to me is it'll be 11 o'clock at night. Like last night, for example, I was, I was, I'm working on a help book for the new release of Fantastic Hell. And it's yeah, it's awesome. Can we talk? Can, can we talk about that? Oh sure. Or... Okay. Um, it it's it'll be out soon enough. Um, it's not it's not fully public, but anyway, it's public beta. And so I'm writing the help book. It's and good too. I get really into like organizing and figuring out the best way to present the information. So my brain's going really fast, but I have Sublime Text open with like five different windows uh-huh. with twenty tabs in each with all the different projects I've kind of started lately. And I was I get that. To that point where it is seriously two-second attention span. I, I, like, start typing in something and see something out of the corner of my... This is all on my screen. I'm not being pulled away by anyone. And right. I will forget what I was working on 30 seconds before. And, it, like, that was... Uh, that's what kept me up until I hit this point. Was just not being able to work because of the severe ADD. Because I, yeah. I can't take my meds at night. Right. And not right. if I no, have I mean, any intention of sleeping. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, like when I was in college, I would sometimes take my Dexedrine or whatever at night. And um, when I was in high school, I accidentally got high on Nodos a few, a few times because the Nodos would fuse with my Dexedrine. And the result would basically kind of be like what I imagine being like high on cocaine is like. Um, I will tell you that Focalin is very similar to cocaine. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it would be fantastic, but it'd be terrible. Um, I'd have so much energy. I remember one time I had to write a paper and I was really putting it off and I took some Dexedrine, um, or I took, I took some Nodos and I really didn't have any effect on me. I couldn't focus, still couldn't kind of get around to wanting to write this paper. And then it was time for me to take my Dexedrine in the morning. So I took, I took it and with about half an hour, it fused like with the Nodos and I was like on it. Like I wrote, like I was supposed to write like a two page paper and I think it was like eight pages. And then I had to give this speech in class and it was terrible because it was for, for my speech class. And I was like, shoot i was like i'm going to you know i'm not i I barely speak coherently i speak quickly anyway and and i spoke so quickly that the the some of the girls were like you should be a rapper and um because your flow is insane i was like this is a bad thing and my paper was really good i was concerned i was like oh no he's gonna think i like plagiarized this that i would like whatever but i i wasn't cheating i was just high um actually the (laughs) The professor, though, he did call me out like afterwards, and he was like, "Okay." I was like, "I'm sorry, I spoke so quickly." He was like, "Well, you enunciated, he was like, and you got out twice as much information in half the time." He was like, "Actually, I think you should be a speech major." <laughs> <laughs> After all that, I, when I, I think of you, uh, like when we see each other in MacWorld, yeah, I do. In in past tense, I imagine you as a hummingbird. <laughs> totally, totally. No, and and um. No, when I'm like at those moments, you know, I mean, it's it's awesome. The, the the crash that time was bad. I remember cleaning the dorm apartment like ridiculously. 
and and there's there's probably video of me somewhere scrubbing and cleaning the stuff like a maniac like it seriously was like i was on coke um i imagine i i um i've never i my one experience with cocaine was non-eventful but um i don't know uh, how information for podcast well we won't talk about it you're obviously uncomfortable I'm not, I mean, I, it was a sorority thing and I don't even remember it was so long ago, but it didn't do anything either way. So but this was one of those, well, probably I didn't pay for it. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody had it and it's just like, Oh, whatever. That was you know, baby college. powder. They told you it was Coke just to get you all like all excited. Uh, probably. Was it a guy? Probably. No, it was some girl who was at the uh, formal thing for the fraternity event who brought some in. <laughs> And um, we were the cool kids who were doing drugs at the form at, at fraternity formal. Yeah, as you do. Does does Dexatrim have Dexadrine in it? Are they related at all? They used to be. Yes, they used okay. to be. Um, and and then they had to remove the Dexadrine right. from the Dexatrim like and, and make it different. Taking Coke out of Coca Cola, but exactly. I, but yeah, but you keep the name the same. Yes. When I was a wee lad, back when um, uh, pseudoephedrine, pseudoephed, uh, mm-hmm. when you could buy pure pseudoephedrine straight from the gas station in right, bottles of 20 you, right before they would like literally take well, your they, driver's they can't license. legally sell it raw anymore you can buy it in right. the form of like uh pseudoephed right but back then man we dexatrim had a generic version at uh one of the superstores, and it you could take 20 of those and then go to a punk rock show jump into a pit it was insane like that's probably yeah. where my my well I know that's where my drug problem started but <laughs> it was you know we were doing anything we could get our hands on back then so yeah you just you mentioned dexedrine I started thinking about dexedrine days yeah no I mean dexedrine that's totally what it was used for and dexedrine is basically just Adderall um but for for me it worked better um and it was hard to get for a while because they stopped producing it but then they started producing it again the government goes through periods of time where they won't produce certain stimulants and then when there's like pent-up demand then they'll finally start allowing them to be made again it's a weird thing yeah uh for a couple of years um Vocaline kept just disappearing off the market i'd go in to yes, get my refill that. and it would just be gone oh well it's over now it's always there now in all kinds of dosages or doses or whatever where are we what's going on yeah, well, I think we've just talked a lot about uh, about drugs. Yeah, we're gonna cut all that out. So Gaga, uh, yes, he uh, this uh, my friend sent me a link to a guy who redid, uh, you know, Anthony Waller, like I do, yes, the Jackal. He's been on my show. Um, he sent me a link to a guy who does metal arrangements over like pop songs. Amazing. And I, I put a link, if you click the Gaga metal one in there, um, it's basically a Gaga video with heavy metal over it, and it it's perfect. It looks like she's a metal singer. And then he did another one that was, uh, <laughs> he overdubbed um, Ryan McLemore and, what's his name? Uh, Ryan Lewis and McLemore. Ryan Lewis and McLemore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for, he did Thrift Shop death metal version. Amazing. And then that reminded me later that uh, there's this awesome mix, uh, mashup of uh, Gaga and Metallica. Um, and it's called Enter Telephone from DJs <laughs> from Mars. And it is, it's 
it's Enter Sandman. It's the good parts of Enter Sandman, those guitar riffs that get everyone headbanging. And then the lyrics to Enter Tele- or to Telephone by Gaga, and it's, oh, it's so good. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I, I can't wait to see this. Yeah, so... Um, uh, oh, there's a Culture Club I, I, Karma Chameleon death metal version. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Is this the same guy I'm looking at his uh, things on YouTube? Did he do, like, Mary Poppins things death metal? I don't know. I haven't fully explored this yet. I probably I won't. That, it would be a nasty K-hole to go now. Yeah, it might be. Because there, there's this whole, there's the Judy Garland sings death metal. There's Drake, best I ever had, Polka. Yeah, I think it medley. is all the same guy. I think this is amazing. what he does. And he plays it all. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying. He like, plays it over. He's got, um, yeah, but he's got one, Mary Poppins sings death metal, Taylor Swift, shake it off, Polka metal version. What the hell See, is See, and Taylor Polka Swift metal? had to come back into it. I was trying to get away, but... I'm sorry. I'm reading it out loud from the YouTube. Thing there's no escape from Taylor Swift. No, there's not. And there shouldn't be, frankly. I want to talk about the MacBook. Yeah, let's talk about you, it. You know what got me more excited than anything? Um, the, the, the fact that uh, everybody's going to complain. Um, and then in two years, we're all going to be carrying it. No, what, what got you more excited I than I don't anything? hear complaints. I don't even go places where people complain. Um, I, 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 I hang out with people who understand exactly what you're saying right now. That they've seen history long enough that they know they're right. going to love it. Um, I was, I was like, I was like, people are complaining. It's like, oh, it's only as one port. I'm like, you guys, first of all, it's like, how could Apple do this? I'm like, are you new here? This is what Apple does. <laughs> That's exactly with what ex- Apple does. With, with the exception of, of the fi- getting rid of the FireWire uh, 400 port on the original Unibody MacBook that lasted one time, and then they turned it into the 13-inch MacBook Pro when they brought FireWire back, it, and that was a travesty. That was like that's the only time that they've ever made these sorts of decisions where it hasn't been one of those things where we suck it up, we complain, and then a few years later we're like, yeah, this is just how it works now. I mean, this is what Apple does. Yeah. They make us rebuy dongles every few years. That's exactly what they do. Sorry, go on. Okay. What has you so excited? Okay, so aside from the fact that I'm really happy they brought back this kind of midline, just MacBook, you know, not the Air, not the Pro. Right. I, I really I love that they're dropping names now. But yes. the, the attention to the keyboard and trackpad, I was so excited. You can tell me about hardware specs all day. And yeah, I know your new computer is going to be faster, probably lighter. That's a given. But right. to completely revamp the mechanism beneath each key yes. and add a certain amount of pressure sensitivity to the trackpad, that is awesome. a step forward. I, input output is my favorite. Like human input devices yes. are my next favorite thing after indie software. Right, and, and, and you kind of love both. And actually, I was thinking about you so much during the, the keynote when he was talking about all the gestures and the different commands and things you could do. I know. Pull up. I was, the automation potentials. I was like, was so oh, my God. On. I was like, I was going to say Brett has such a heart on right now. I was like, Brett is so excited. I was trying and not I, to annoy my wife as I was watching it, but I couldn't stop, like, just giggling. No, it was one of those things. Like, I was having to write up the news as it was happening, so I couldn't even comment, like, in our live blog or our chat or anything. But I was thinking to myself, and I might have even mentioned like out loud in the war room where we were all um, watching and writing stuff, and, and none of them know who you are or listen to my podcast or care. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh my god, my podcast host is going to be so excited. And I think there were probably a number of eye rolls, um, like, shut up, Christina. But I was, I so thought of you. I was like, especially with your, with all the stuff you do with automation and with all of your custom gestures, I was like, even if there's not an API for this, someone will find a way to hack into this the way they have with other stuff. 
And this will be so amazing to be able to build your own kinds of, of things around, you know, doing a couple of things and having stuff just happen automatically. Well, like, That's it so doubles, cool. It doubles the possibility, the hard click, whatever they're calling it. Like, yes, that all the things that I do with better touch tool now. Yes. Once he gets his hands on. Like, oh, I was thinking that too. I was like, he is going to go so nuts. Yeah. Between that and the leap and we, something needs to happen like a, a big leap forward. No, no pun intended. Because right. the leap is, is has amazing potential, but yes. people don't want to wave their hands around all day. Not yet. I mean, well, it's too much work. Like a keyboard is uh, keeps your hands contained. All you have to do does. is move your fingers and you're, you're creating input. You can't do that when you're wildly gesturing. No, I agree. I mean, I think that it can work for the context of something like the HoloLens. Like if you've got like, you're not attached to a traditional screen, you know, if it's you're yeah. kind of like a minority report th- thing, I think it can kind of work. But yeah, if you're connected to like a traditional screen and keyboard, then yeah, I think that this sort of gesture stuff with the force trackpad is awesome. And what I'm really excited about is that they're bringing it to, you know, the 13-inch MacBook um, Pro as well, which means it'll be coming to all of the portables, except for I'm assuming the MacBook Air, which has now basically become the new MacBook, weirdly. Um, you know, it's kind of like your baseline entry-level Mac um, because they're really pushing aggressive adoption on this stuff, which is awesome. Yes. Um I have something to show you. Did you ever see my Minority Report uh, set up? No, I did not. I'm going to send you a link, and you can watch it silently. No, but this looks so cool. I mean, basically, that was the best use I found for my leap. I, I have a lot of, like, you know, I can, like, poke three fingers towards my screen, and my music will start and stop, which is cool. Right. You know, because there are times that I don't want to remember what my shortcuts were when I need to mute real fast. But Exactly. But on my treadmill desk... Being able to manipulate my computer, go through news feeds, things like that while I'm walking at higher speeds. Like I can walk and type at about like one to one and a half miles per hour. But if I want to go two and a half miles an hour or faster, I can't type anymore. So being able to just gesture and do things is that's awesome. So what is that thing on your desk? It looks like you've got like a number pad um, that looks like it matches magic trackpad and the wire apple wireless keyboard yeah um it's i actually gave it to my brother-in-law recently but it is uh it's exactly that it's the same form factor as the wireless trackpad i think hp i'll find i'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes too um it's it's cool i just i thought i needed a number pad after living so long without one using the bluetooth keyboards right but it turns out i've just adjusted I was going to say, remember. I, I, like my muscle memory just isn't there for it. I was going to say, I've thought about doing things like that, but like, even when I've used like the extended keyboard, I'm like, you know what? I don't even know what it's like. I've literally lived without having a number pad for so many years now. I don't, I guess if I was in Excel all day, but I'm not. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've made every effort in my life to not be in Excel all day or ever. <laughs> Data. There's a couple good database apps for Mac right now, like a new one called yeah, Records, Records just came out. Records is really good. And there's one called Tapforms, I think. Yeah. And that one was, like, I didn't know about it when I heard about Records. And it was, I don't know, I'm really impressed with it as well. But, like, ever since, um, who, who, who made uh, Bento? That was FileMaker, yeah. which was Apple, but they got rid of it. Right. Ever since they pulled it, it's kind of been a desert. 
It has. And that's kind of why I was excited about records, because records really reminds me of like bringing Bento yeah, back. Like a friendly database. Exactly. Because a lot of times you need that, like a personal database thing. You I know? want and, to and... need it. That's the problem is I see these things. I'm like, oh, what could I make a database for? Right. I mean, for me, it becomes very rare. I mean, it's things like keeping track of my, my DVDs or my clothes or other things. But yeah, you know, I mean, and people are like, oh, you could use Delicious Library. You could use this. You could use that. And it's like, yeah, Is Delicious could, still but... in existence? It is, but I haven't used it in such a long time and it hasn't really been updated in a long time. Yeah. It was and, for a while. It was updated like all the time and then it just kind of... All tailored. the time. Yeah. I mean, and, and that aesthetic has kind of gone away too, you know, which is kind of a shame, but it is what it is. And... Um, I don't know. I um, I like I like records. Um, Tap Forms. I, I I've looked at that one. I haven't tried it though. I haven't either. But it's iOS as well, so that's kind of. Yeah, I know that the records but guys are working on an iOS. The app. problem, the problem with records right now, and and I, I've very, been very clear about this, is it does not have the export formats. Right. It can and, export and to records. Oh, he's working on that. He's working on that. Um, uh, I, I talked to him on Twitter, and like that's like their first thing that they're doing. Yeah, I'm looking at tap forms now. I mean, that looks nice for sure. And yeah, I didn't know about this when I when I got records either. But um, but I like all the stuff that has like the iCloud syncing and and has the the ability to do the barcode scanning and that sort of thing. Like that's all really hot. Oh, man, because I mean, that's. Because that's one of the cool things about Bento, you know, is you could do all that stuff. And, and like, Delicious. Makers, delicious library was so good at scanning. It was. It was so good at scanning. Like, especially when they had, like, the iPhone app adapter and stuff. Like, that's just, like, didn't so he, cool. Didn't he sell his scanning, his, like, the code that he wrote? Yeah, I believe he did. Um, maybe that, maybe he made enough money off that code. I think, I don't remember now. I don't want to wildly guess. But I remember it, it went well for him with that. Yeah, but I, I bought, mean. I bought a... Uh, what were those cat-shaped scanners? Yeah, the, the Q-Cats. Yeah, the Q-cats. I got one of those yeah, just for Delicious Library. So did I, actually. So did I, actually, way back in the day. And then it became just as fast to just use your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. But back in the day before the iPhone had a camera on it, I had a Q-Cat. <laughs> and it was funny, too, because the company that, that built the Q-Cat, you know, that was supposed to be like this advertising mechanism. It was basically QR codes. But um, but earlier and and even more poorly executed, if you can imagine, even crappier QR codes. That was QCAT, and um, it was supposed to be you know this, this big venture that a bunch of companies invested all kinds of money in. One big publisher, I can't I can't remember which one it was now, was was part of it, and it was ridiculous. And um, they sent them out. I remember getting them in the mail for free all the time um, in like '99 and 2000. And um, it was the dumbest, most horrible thing. But people have kept that QCAT community alive by you know, figuring out cool things to do with that little dongle. And one of them was turning it into an epic barcode scanner. It's a good piece of hardware. It's a handy, cheap piece of hardware. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, what? you know, for what it was designed for, it was kind of a terrible thing. I mean, who's going to like scan magazine ads and then take the URL back to their computer? Sure, sure. But explain to me why people hate QR codes so much. I've never understood the outrage. Well, there's just no point to them. I mean, they're annoying. I think the problem is, especially on the iPhone, there's not a built-in QR code reader. So you've got to use like a third-party one. See, but I think there should be. Like I can fit fit an entire address card and like five links into a QR code, put it on my business card, and have a nice, clean, elegant business card with a QR code just big enough to be able to scan. And I don't have to cover, like people can then get everywhere for me. 
and and that's fine. And I think for those cases, it's fine. I think the problem is twofold. One, actually getting QR codes into systems is still more friction, uh, full of more friction than it should be, right? So if it was built into the camera app and if it was built into like your webcam software, then that would be one thing, but it's not. So you've got to use a third-party app. So that's number one. Number two is that while it's great, I think, for things like business cards, especially if you have it like linked to like a VCF file or whatever, like doing what you're doing, most people are trying to use them around advertising stuff. So they're like, oh, we want you to scan this and they'll take you to this URL, which will then give you, you know, some random advertising stuff. And it's kind of, to me, a solution in search of a problem. Um, we haven't needed an easier way. You know, people don't want an easier way to get ads. I mean, at this point, iBeacon is kind of taking the place of QR codes, but they're probably going to work and that it can send you push. Well, you it'll know, work because Apple's making it. You know, like they're making it, building it into the ecosystem. Well, but not only that, but but it but it's coming to you rather than making you go to it, which I think is is the right way to do things. When you put the onus on the user to interact with you in a way that's going to cause them to have to, you know, right? But pull up it's not the user's fault that no one really adopted it. I still think it was a great idea. Uh, well, I just think that the people who adopted it early on were were adopting it in search of a problem rather than with a solution. The one good example I ever heard of, of QR codes from somebody was was using it for people to sign up for surveys, like trying to get people to like take health surveys and information like that, where you could literally like, you know, like go to the QR code rather than trying to get the survey link out. Like I think things like that, um, you know, for, for trying to get people to sign petitions or to, to sign up for other things, like I think that actually is useful. But it still doesn't change the fact that, you know, we had to have this, you have to have an app. And Wait, hold on. for a lot of people, here's a perfect example. Uh, BitTorrent Sync. When you hook up yes. a mobile device, you share a folder. It puts a QR code on your screen. You hold up your phone, connected. That's it. That. Uh, well, because they've built that into their app, which right. is great. It, well, see, but that's my, what I'm my, saying though: is everyone could have built it into their app. Apple could have built didn't. it in. But they didn't, and so because they didn't, I mean, you know, like it. it, it but because they didn't, the onus is on everybody else. And so you can't expect the user to want to go out there and do it. I mean, I agree. So, if you're going to use a, you're going to use a QR code, that's fine. But you've got to build it into your app to support it. I mean, like, like two auth apps do that. Authy does yeah. it. Google Authenticator. Like, and that's great. But if you're not going to do that, um, then you can't expect to put a QR code on your business card and expect that everybody's going to use it because... I mean, I don't even know if yeah. the Evernote business card app has that built in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, like, I, I had I had a QR code on my business card. I handed out a lot of them over my travels, and I had it pointed to, like, brettterpshire.com slash QR. And I can record the hits there and then redirect it wherever I want to. And it almost nobody ever used that QR code. Well, that's QR what I'm code. saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the coolest things somebody did actually last year is they sent me their business card as a passbook entry. Passbook uh, on the iPhone. Yeah. Okay. How do you do that? Because um, that would created, be cool. They created like their own little website that had a passbook thing, and you would just go to the URL, and um, it um created a thing in in um in passbook. It was really cool. Okay, I'm gonna look that up because that would be handy. I'm I'm thinking like there's got to be if people aren't going to adopt a relatively you know ubiquitous stable technology like that, what's the better alternative? Yeah, no, and, and not for marketing. Thing. I don't care. I'm not going to scan codes uh, out no, of a magazine. No, of course, of course not. No, but what I'm saying though is, what was cool about the passbook thing too is that within passbook, actually, you can um, pull up the camera function, and it will actually let you scan a QR code. Nice. 
So that actually is built into the passbook thing. So, yeah. All right. I made a note to spend an hour wasting time on that. All right. So where are we? I don't, I don't even... I'm not drinking. I thought about having a scotch tonight, but hmm. the combination of being this tired and slightly drunk was uh, frightening. Oh. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about the theory of everything. Yes, let's. That's a good, good place to start because that movie was not good. No, it wasn't. And that whole story bothers me. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, they took uh, what was a tale told by an outraged woman. Yes. Like a, a jilted lover. And turned it well, into a biographical account. And turned it into a love story about right, exactly. the, the one Oscars. turns into this love story about how she, about how they, they love Conquer at all until, until, until. So basically the story is it's like the, the, Stephen Hawking, you know, getting sick and, and coming up with the theory of relativity and all but, this stuff. Well, see, oh, oh, I'll let you finish, but that's what really bugged me is they glossed over all of his achievements. And yes. they tried to make it, you know, a personal, warm and cuddly movie, which it just, it can't be. And, and, and let me correct myself. Sorry. Stephen Hawking obviously did not come up with the theory of relativity. <laughs> Sorry, no, that, that was, was Albert Einstein. Einstein. That was Einstein. But, but, but Hawking came up with other numerous things. Um, I, uh, I caught myself as soon as I said that. I don't want Cindy Mills to Brett. Um, no. Um, but, but the whole thing was, you know, he met this woman, kind of fell in love with her at the same time he was doing this. Then he got, you know, his weird form of ALS, which lucky for him stopped you know at a certain point so he's in a wheelchair and can't speak but is still alive and his brain still works unlike most people with with ALS who you know end up being unable to breathe or move but the 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 kicker is that they have this love story and then in the 80s i think it was the 80s or in the 90s Stephen Hawking divorces his wife who gave up everything for him and took care of him and and became basically his his maid his everything and he divorces her for and leaves her for his nurse. Yeah. But, I mean, his nurse was more energetic. <laughs> I know. In, in the movie, it felt wrong because his wife had basically, as a child, you know, as a college kid, decided to dedicate her life to someone she exactly. knew was going to be a cripple. This is the way the, the movie yes. is, and it may be reality. I don't know. But then, you know, ultimately, I kind of... I kind of respect people who can make a decision to be happy. And, you know, I I, you never know all the circumstances in someone's you mind never when do. they do something you, like that. You never do either. I'm just saying that, that to leave someone who literally had been with you for that long. Right. But, like, but at what point would something like that become just a chain around your neck? Like you can never leave because they spent time on you. It's kind of becomes like um, potential Kathy Bates. I guess. I mean, but he he divorced the 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 the, the maid too. I don't know. I mean, the, <laughs> I'm not the nurse saying he's, too, a, he's a gentleman or anything. I'm... No, he's not. I'm just saying that to me, it was made a mockery. Of this whole like love conquers all story until, of course, you leave the woman who's with you for thirty years um, for your maid. I mean, for your nurse. Yeah, I suppose. But in, like, I I just I didn't appreciate the story. Like, I it didn't just, either. It didn't. It felt like a fast forward like overview. That's not why I watch movies. I would watch a documentary if I wanted to fast forward overview and hopefully they would go into more detail about the science. But yeah, I, that was very disappointing, especially because I was yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Well, okay. So re according to Wikipedia, so uh, Jane Hawking published her, her memoir, Music to Move the Stars, which describes her marriage to Hawking and its breakdown. 
Its revelations caused a sensation in the media, but as was his usual practice regarding his personal life, Hawking made no public comment except to say he did not read biographies about himself. <laughs> After his second marriage, Hawking's family felt excluded and marginalized from his life. For a period of about five years in the early 2000s, his family and staff became increasingly worried that he was being physically abused. Police investigations took place, but were closed as Hawking refused to make a complaint. In 2006, Hawking and Mason quietly divorced, and Hawking resumed a closer relationship with Jane, his children, and grandchildren. Reflecting this happier period, a revised version of Jane's book called Traveling to Infinity, My Life with Stephen, appeared in 2007. So this is even more screwed up now to me knowing well, this. And that would be she her writes, like, briefer history of time, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So basically she was like, okay, here's how I was screwed over. But they don't want to make that into the movie. And the one they make into the movie is after he leaves the woman that he left her for and she gets like her family back. And then she's like, oh, traveling to infinity, my life with Steven. <laughs> and then that becomes like the basis for this not well made and, and frankly, not interesting movie. It was frustrating on a lot of levels. And, and I, I mean, nothing against Eddie Redmayne. Um, I thought his Oscar speech was really good and, and his performance was certainly solid. Uh, but I feel like they gave him an Oscar because he did a really good Stephen Hawking impression. It, to me, I mean, honestly. He did, though. I mean. He did. He did do a really good impression. And when people I, first told me that, I thought, how hard is it to play a paralyzed person? But he had well, every tick down. He did. And, and I'm, not, I'm not in any way like saying that he didn't do a good job acting. But to me, there's a huge difference between his performance in that and um, what um, uh, What's-His-Face did in My Left Foot. Because... That, to me, was a much deeper and better performance. I thought that that uh, was uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, I thought that that performance of My Left Foot really embodied the character that he was playing. I mean, he really, really um, took on having cerebral palsy and, and um, doing everything. I mean, he literally made that film. And to me, it didn't feel like a caricature or a parody or an impression. It felt like he really was that guy. And I never got the sense with Redmayne that he was Hawking. It felt like he was playing Hawking. Um, he still did a good job. And I understand why he won the Oscar. I would have rather uh, Michael Keaton got it. But um, I don't know. It, it, it bothered that movie, the, the, the uh, you know, Theory of Everything, really reminded me in all the, of another movie I absolutely hate, which is A Beautiful Mind. I see. I liked it first time I saw it, and I thought I'd watch it again. And then, I don't know. I'm a sucker for Connolly. Yeah, I like her too. And I, but I didn't like what they did with her character. I, I hated the the Kiva Goldsmith uh, script. I thought it was BS. I thought Russell Crowe winning for it was BS. I thought it was a crappy movie, and I really like Ron Howard. But again, it was one of those things where exalting these real life figures and creating a fake biography of them that gives them, you know, this this greater sense of what they were. And in creating this really false and to me like uninteresting narrative, like I think the real story would have been more fascinating about about um you know the the beautiful mind guy. And I don't know it makes you want to go watch it, Requiem for a Dream. It really does because well that's speaking of good Connolly. Films. I know. Right? Um, oh, did you see your last one? Um, no, uh, I didn't. Stuck stuck in love. No, it's good. Yeah, I was I was surprised. It was one that I thought would be good to watch with my wife because I would probably make us both happy but it actually made me really happy um oh i'm looking at this up now it's a uh, greg kinnear yeah. and um 
and uh, Kristen Bell. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, she's no, really I, good, too. She plays a slutty housewife, and it's awesome. Fantastic. No, I really like Jennifer Connelly. I mean, to me, and I know it's such a depressing film, but I love Requiem for a Dream. And actually, that's a great book. I don't know if you've ever read the book. I have not. The book uh, by, uh, I think his name is Selby, is um, really, really solid. And um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Hubert Selby Jr. And it's... Um, you know, the adaptation was really solid, but Ellen Bernstein is so good in it. And God, I love working for Dream. I mean, Marlon Wayans. Holy crap. He was in that? Like, yeah. I don't he, he was. Oh, he, yeah, oh I do. I can picture it now, but I didn't know who he was at the time I saw it. Yeah, it's Marlon Wayans, wow. dude. Okay. So can we talk about a, a movie that was way better than The Theory of Everything? In fact, it's my favorite action movie in the last five years. What's that? John Wick. I didn't, I, I panned it at first. I wasn't even thinking about watching it because, you know, it's Keanu Reeves it's and it's Keanu a shoot em up movie. Yeah. How interesting could it be? But, uh, well, Dean Winters is in it, so but, I'm there. See, I, there, I had no reason to even look at the preview until my friend who, we have a very similar history and we relate in ways that I don't relate with other people. And when he told me that he loved it, I decided to give it a shot and, from the very first fight scene, very first one, when he, when I realized that this guy puts a headshot, a double tap on every person he fights, when there's 13 against one, and he'll stop and, and, and make sure that he doesn't leave anyone alive. And that is so unusual. That, and the kung fu, they called it gun fu. Like, it was so smooth, and they were basically doing kung fu with, with firearms. It was really well choreographed. I honestly have not felt this good about Keanu since the first Matrix. Hmm. It has it restored like ten years of ill will towards him. I'm I'm it's I've watched it twice in the last week and I never do that. <laughs> it's a shoot 'em up. You know, you gotta go into it thinking it's a shoot 'em up. That's you're not gonna get like a romance out of it or anything. Or any deep message. But it's fun. Have you haven't awesome. seen it, I take it? Um, uh, no, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to seeing it now. Yeah, it, it, go, go into it with a, a appetite for gore. It's not overly gory. It's not like watching a zombie flick or anything, but everyone gets shot in the head. Everyone. And he gets really cool, cool cars. Starts out with a 69 Mustang. That's awesome. Um, have you ever heard of Mark Fennell? I have not. I'm just going to, I'm taking over because we're short on time and I have so much to say. This, this guy is a, he's a movie reviewer. He has like a SoundCloud channel podcast thing. Okay. And he is good. He does. Let me look up his wording on this because he does. Oh, he has a name for the kind of reviews he does. They're kind of like just like the truth in 30 second kind of things. Awesome. Um, but yeah, he's he's intelligent and he has very good insights on just about everything. Yeah, I'm looking at his site now. He look looks good. Um, he has and, a he um, has a review of Theory of Everything. Yeah, I'm seeing that, and also Chappie, which I'm dying to see. Oh, me too. Did you know that they had actors for every scene that Chappie is in, but they completely removed them. It wasn't. It was entirely CG. Not uh, not what's it called when you put the ping pong balls on? Right. It looks really good. Like they actually they showed a scene where they had. Chappie, the actor that was kind of like the placeholder, 
got right. blown through a door into an explosion. And then the CG guys completely remove his flying body from the shot, CG in Chappie, and then add all the flames. And it was, it's amazing. Like when I think about my years in film school and wishing yeah. we could do stuff like that, yeah. things are crazy yeah. though. I know, completely crazy. Yeah, exactly. My my years in film school too. It's it's nuts just to think about like how exactly like what that was like back then because it's crazy. I shouldn't say film school. I took film classes at art school. Well, it's the it's basically you probably had more a lot of more production experience than I did. Like I had to go to the the graduate studies, um, uh, their digital film lab, and and sneak my way in to get access to some of the good equipment and stuff. You know, a lot of my stuff was theory and history and, and, and technique rather than hands-on production stuff until way later on. And, and um, so you probably had just as much, if not more, you know, hands-on time with some of that stuff as I did. I once shot $600 worth of, uh, I think it was 38, uh, just like film, film. So 16 millimeter, probably. Mm, it was the wider one. 35? Yeah, 35. Yeah, and it, I, I, I realized when we were done shooting that I had spent way too much on the day. And then I realized that the developing costs at that point, it was right before film kind of was usurped. And right. it had gotten really expensive to process it. Right. So I spent almost $1,000 making a, what amounted to a four-minute film. It was horrible. <laughs> Fortunately... My grandfather was a chemist from Monsanto, and he left me money that I was not allowed to use for anything but college, and that counted as college. So, I came out Hell okay. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> Monsanto, huh? Chief engineer. Chief chemical engineer. I'm not supposed to talk about that, because they have a bad rap these days, but back in the 60s, that was, that was hot stuff. Today, it would still be hot stuff, man. Are you kidding me? And he lived in the same house, raised five kids, drove the same cars for like 20 years. And when he passed, it turned out he had massive savings because he never he never spent anything and he had a really good job. I wish I could say that. I have a bad job and I spend everything. I just bought a new guitar for no reason other than it was half off. <laughs> I've been as acoustic for $200 off. That's not bad. Anyway. Okay. So I, I, do you have time? We can put an extra few minutes on here. So Moises has something to edit. Yeah. All right. Um, what's left? What, what do you have? Well, we covered everything on my list. That's amazing. I know it is amazing. I'm super excited. I'm trying to think what else. We want to say anything about the Apple watch. Are you going to get one? I, w- I will not be getting an Apple Watch. I, All it's, right. uh, it's too expensive to justify something in first, first edition. Yeah, I, I understand that. Like, for my job, I obviously have to get one. Oh, um, poor you. I mean, I would love I it. I, I'm amazed with the potential. I was going to say, because with the automation aspect, like just knowing what Pebble can do with Tasker for Android, which is basically like Launch Center Pro, mm-hmm. and and um, and David has said that he's building a Launch Center Pro app for the Apple Watch, which seems amazing. Well, And if you I know, built like, an app for it, I could write it off as a tax uh, write-off, as a yeah. business expense. I should do that. That's how I got my TV, because I was thinking I was going to try to hack around with the Apple TV and make something. On the uh, yeah the Cydia market, but I didn't. But I still wrote it off. Don't tell my accountant that that didn't happen. Yeah, IRS, don't listen to our podcast. 
the IRS is not the NSA. They they uh, they make you provide paper. The NSA would just I be know. like, we know. The NSA would just be like, yeah, we heard what you guys said about <laughs> us. We we heard we heard how much you talked about loving Snowden. We've been watching your credit dead card transactions. Dead, dead to us. Um. So no, um, but yeah, no. I mean, I'm I'm uh, so, but I have to get one. But I'm with you since that. I'm debating between getting the sport and the the stainless steel version. And normally I would just, you know, suck it up and spend the extra money and get the stainless steel model. My fear with that, though, is that because it's so, it's a 1.0 product, and I know that in a year they're just going to have a better designed one, don't know if I want to blow, like, $750 on something that I know that in a year. I mean, I can probably reuse the band, but I'm just going to be getting the new prettier one, and it's not going to have any resale value. Yeah, that's pretty much so, what I'm talking about. So, you know, I'm kind of in a place where... I'm probably going to wind up getting the sport with the band that I want and it'll still be like 600 bucks, but then at least I can still use the band. I don't know. So I guess I can like write off the 350 for a work expense, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you know that the improvements are going to come hard and fast in the next version. Exactly. You, it's going to be like I the iPad to iPad Anyone too. who bought number one is going to want number two really badly. Absolutely. And some of us can't spend $550 on a watch every year. It, Exactly. Or like, don't I've got want to. Spend to. That on I probably phone. could. Or but... don't want to. I mean, I could. But yeah, exactly. I and mean, it's one of those things. Like, I don't mind doing it. I kind of do. But like, it's when it's it's hard when you literally know. Like, looking at it, it looks so much like the iPad One, and the iPad was great. But it was one of those things where you were like, we knew that the iPad Two was going to come out. Like, and it was still worth getting the iPad. Don't get me wrong. Like, that was completely worth it. But the iPad Two comes out. And it looks better. It's thinner. Has a much better design and profile. It has more RAM. You know what I mean? Like, you know that they're going to get all the, it's going to be so much better. But at the same time, there's the whole, you know, fear of missing out with tech stuff. Um, and with my job, I literally have to get a watch. But um, it, it's, um, uh, I literally have to get a watch, but it, work won't buy me. Anyway, um, it's becomes one of those things where for, I think for tech geeks, it's going to become an interesting kind of like litmus test because like how how much of the Kool-Aid do we really drink when you literally know that this thing is going to be obsolete in a year? What? Are you still going to get when it? When you can justify it by saying it's my job and, and I get you know paid to do this, then it's a different story. Agreed. That's what I'm saying. So for me, I'm not, even, I'm not pretending that I'm the normal person. I mean, that's I'm how I get like away with buying geeks. so much software. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that and we just like software. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is I I found a way to get paid for doing exactly what I want to do, and that I enjoy. I was quoted saying something like that on a Nasby interview. Nasby has a version coming out for the Apple Watch. Nice. That's yeah. I assume all the productivity, uh, like apps, are going to be doing that. Yeah, Invoice to Go has um, an Apple Watch app that actually is really smart because it'll help do like time tracking. Oh, nice! <laughs> That's a perfect which, thing to do with a watch. It actually is. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, it's like actually one of those perfect things where you can start it and and then time track it and then stop. I mean, I think about it like how much easier it is to be able to tap and stop stuff rather than you know, especially if you're working on something that isn't um, tethered to a computer. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna look at your watch anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe you'll remember to punch in and out now. Right. Or, you know, if you're doing something that, like, you know, if you're not doing coding or writing or something where, like, you can have, like, a time tracker, like, you know, widget open, you know, you're doing something else. 
making calls, doing other things. It's like it's keeping track of it. And then when you're done, okay, you're like, okay, cool. Now I can, you know, app twice or whatever. Yeah. I, I have spent many hours de- designing elaborate systems that make up for the fact that I never remember to start a timer when doing client work. <laughs> um... I mean, my computer literally tracks my movements. If anyone ever stole my system, they would know way more about me than they should. My computer knows more than my wife knows, and I'm very open with my wife. Right. But, yeah, it's, uh, but, I mean, it gets down in minutia. It tells me what directory I was in at any given time in Terminal. Yeah. There's some really good apps for that, though. I don't know if I want to know all that. Like, I don't think I want to know how much time I spend, you know, watching YouTube videos. Yeah, you, you don't. It's amazing how, uh, how how disproportionate your idea of what you did is to actual concrete time intervals. Not you personally, but like for me. No, I'll no, like, I know, I know. You know I spent like, some yeah. time, you know, playing on YouTube and Facebook, and then I got some work done. And you look at it, and it's like one to three ratio, except three to one, depending yeah. on what order you did it in, I suppose. But yeah. All right, I found the Mashable Apple Watch event post this isn't by you though uh, i did apple watch the, um, and macbook everything you need to know no yeah. i did the macbook pro macbook apple re, or the, the apple reinvents the macbook post right. um apple reinvents the notebook uh, with um which had a thousand well then it was worth all that time you put into it wow that is a lot <laughs> yeah um it was a ton i also ended up writing um a really good op-ed about the MacBook um, about why they redesigned it, which um, it wasn't an op-ed, just an, an analysis. But as I said, it, I really didn't add anything new. To what I mean, a lot of people have made the same um, statements. I think I might have gotten out a little early, but we all had the same thoughts. It came out. I'm not trying to in any way claim that I was. But you just uh, said it was really good, so you must be proud. It was of it really in some good. Way. I was. Oh, I'm definitely proud. I'm just trying to say. I. I I'm just trying to. You're trying make to be humble now. No, I'm not trying to be humble. I'm trying to make it clear that I don't think I was original in making the comparisons between um, the original MacBook Air and the the new MacBook. I think everybody immediately saw those two things as being similar, but I am really happy with my analysis. Congratulations. I'm really happy with the 2,000 words I wrote last night. What did you write your 2,000 words on? Oh, it's for the help book. Nothing exciting. The help book? Fantastic. No, I think that's, that's, I think that's really... I have written more technical documentation than I have worked on my own books lately. I am making progress on the tagging book, though. I was going to ask about that. It, 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 It turned out to be a matter of lowering expectations. And by that, I mean trimming the outline down so it wasn't a thesis anymore. It was, or not like a, a doctoral candidate's work. It's, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's the people who want to read this are not interested in the history of folksonomy and taxonomies and, you know, semantic analysis. This is beyond the scope of the book, and I needed to see that. I got it now, though. That's good. I'm writing it for my mom now. Who was I listening to? It said, just write for one person. Oh, he was on my podcast. Uh, I've forgotten. (laughs) Take the Stairs. Uh, I forgot his name, though. He wrote a book called Take the Stairs, and he said, the secret is just to write for... One person. And that that actually works. You're not trying to please an entire crowd. You're trying to explain something clearly to a single person. 
Yeah, I think that that's a really good approach. I think that that's actually really smart to do. I mean, and I, I try to keep in mind, I don't maybe have one person in mind, but you I see, have you like can't one do type that in your reporting. Well, you can. Well, you'll get slaughtered, you can, though. Well, you will and you won't, because I go in thinking, who am I right? Who's, who is my target audience? And because if you try to be all things to all people, you're going to fail on all fronts. And so you try to think about, like, I know who Mashable's audience is. And Mashable's audience is different than the Verge's audience or ours's audience or wires audience um there's some overlap and i try to be there but i think like our audience wants to know what's happening in plain terms that's understandable but they also want it to be accurate but they want to know what's going on and they don't want to be married into overly technical talk which i can totally get into and in, in love but that's not who our audience is so if you want like the like when i do a review like i don't review something like an and like an and did and, and he did an amazing job nobody did reviews like him i, can't I review read those, it though. Well, but I, I write them for people who want to get to the bottom line. Like, yeah. what does this what does this do for me? And that's why me. do I want this? Why does it matter? And and yeah, and that's a lot of people. So yeah, I mean, I think that. But but if I were writing for different, but like when I wrote for Tua and Download Squad, you know, it was a slightly different audience. It's like a more to me, a little more technical. You know, a little little um, more snarky, <laughs> a little more anal. Yeah, I mean, and there and there are things that when I've written, you know, for other publications and done other sorts of work too. You know, you can take a different approach. My personal writing, I, you know, do more for me. In that case, I really am writing for me. And people, get, they get something out of it, they get something out of it. But um, when I write, you know, for, for my job, it's like, yeah, I, I, try to, I try to think about who I know that I'm writing to. And when I'm writing really technical security posts, which it's almost always to inform and explain. And usually to, to have people back down from the ledge is usually the goal there. And so in that, those cases, I am oftentimes literally writing for my mom because I'm <laughs> writing for the people who are hearing about these things and they're freaking out and they, they're, they're wondering, what do I need to do? And I'm explaining why they should or shouldn't be freaked out. Yeah. Like going on the, what was it? Do, the good morning. Um, what'd you go on? I forget already. Uh, new, uh, the, the Today Show. It was like you were talking directly to your mother. It basically was. I mean, although my mom, I don't think would have. My mom is more savvy than I that, believe that. Actually. She'd have to be. My mom's yeah, my, my mom is surprisingly savvy because so I nerd out on her all the time. But um, uh, y you do it well, and Wired does uh, writing technical articles in a snarky, humorous kind of way. And I've always been impressed, at least in recent years. No, pretty much always. Wired has always had attitude behind tech articles, and I enjoy that. They have their weak spots, of course, but especially now that it's all online. I mean, I was a Wired fan back when you could only read it when you got those like three quarter inch thick, inch thick magazines with the awesome cover art. I remember the Bruce Sterling. Anyway. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I'm a Wired fan. Do people still like Wired? Yeah. And they actually just redesigned their website and it looks really good. And, um, automatic Matt Mullenweg is very excited because apparently they're now all on WordPress. Really? Yeah. Which, Hey, good for them. Um, I, I still, I mean, that there's, it, it's a custom WordPress thing through sure, yeah, WordPress yeah, VIP sure. thing or whatever, but I, I don't know. I, I still, we've had, I mean, we use it as our backend strictly for inputting in text. We don't actually serve anything from WordPress. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I've, I've talked extensively with your bosses about potentially working on moving further away, extracting the data layer even further exactly and and i think that's more the future but no the new wired redesign does look really good it's very pinteresty um kind of verge like um and uh but it's really good i hate that the verge actually. was right about that 
I mean, I, I, I got to give him credit. The Verge has done yeah. an amazing job, but they totally have. It's, it, it's no. a knife in the back for me that they actually got the future of the blog layout, like the next step in blog layouts. They kind of totally nailed did. It. They completely nailed it. But no, the new, but the new Wired looks fantastic, and they just hired David Pierce actually away from the Verge, um, and uh, so, um, and he, and he moved to San Francisco. So they they've gotten some good hires. That's and, nice. Yeah, it is nice. And and Wired does really good stuff. I really enjoy their, especially their security and cyber stuff. I really enjoy. So there's a lot of typekit going on here. And Chrome on both of my computers, uh, as of the last update, started 403-ing all typekit requests. So I am seeing Years. the web in, like, horrible ways with, like, Times New Roman and Courier. And it's not going well. I don't know what's up. And I can't Years. find any, I can't find any concrete reports that anyone else is getting this but anyway i was gonna say do you think there's anything in your custom dns like oh there's very likely some i have i have so many plugins running in chrome that i can't see my url bar if i'm on my 15 inch screen and it's not yes. in retina mode and it's not in retina mode I right just get yeah, this no, little running, half inch white space yeah i've run into that too where i literally have to like move it off like if i and i have to click like the the you know hamburger button or not the hamburger button the the um double um carrot and see like another like 10 things that are off screen did i ever show you the uh plugin manager plugin you did because that has saved my life extensions manager aka switcher yeah yeah it's um it's it's sad that i run so many plugins that i don't even know what's messing my life up right now but completely but hey it is what it is I replace plugins with bookmarklets whenever I can, and then I use Vime- Vimium to. You can hit Shift B in Vimium, and it will search your bookmarks. So I just give my bookmarklets really easy names, and then I can just basically it's like launch bar in my browser. It's pretty cool. That is cool. That's very cool. The Google Code is dead. Yeah, but <laughs> the government is contributing open source now. Did you see that tweet I sent? I did. I did. That's hilarious. That was. Uh... It was a like a wiretap or like a packet analyzer with a copyright that says this is the work of the U.S. government. <laughs> That's I, I think it's awesome. I think I mean we paid for that code, so yeah, absolutely. Um, but oh, yeah, Google, didn't Google Code technically get sunset three years ago? I mean, I they're just so. finally now shutting the the shades on it. But yeah, it was like they haven't accepted new projects forever. Oh, that's true. I, I don't know if it's been three years, but yeah. But it's just, it's funny how, like, GitHub totally won. Oh, yeah. Well, it was superior Better. in every way. Yes, but it's one of those things where I never would have thought that, that it, you know, Google is, is so cocky about so many things. It's always fun to me when they lose. Yeah. Yeah, see, I wish I understood Java, or like, why people love Java so much, because... Every job I've looked at with Google that was on the programming side and not the design side, it, it's it's been Java. They want Java. Everything's Java. And then Android is huh. Java. So, Well, I don't know. Because well, the only real people I know there, I mean, I know some people on the Android teams and whatnot, but um, is every right now it's all about Go. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is true. Um, a lot of their... A lot of the stuff that they do open source is all in Go now, and I feel completely left behind because p- clearly... Google has strong reason to believe that this is uh, a valid language that will be extremely useful in the future. 
and I don't have yeah. any idea how it works. Yeah, my friend, my friend Brad Patrick is on the Go team, and he does um, um camel store stuff, and so he does a lot of stuff in OCaml, um, and that's how he got on the Go team, and uh, uh, all about Go these days. Yes. Yeah. See the the Java part the the Java part that's not Android is mostly their like back end server right. and I mean that's that's the stuff that fascinates me about Google is you know the algorithms that are determining how we see the web. Um, but it's also pissing me off lately because we're not seeing the web right anymore. We're not seeing the web as it exists. We're seeing it as Google wants us to see it. And you know I use DuckDuckGo, but. Google yeah. kind of controls the flow of traffic and therefore they determine what's popular and even DuckDuckGo can't avoid Google's influence okay. on streams. No, they can't. It, it, it's, it opens up a lot of really interesting questions. Yeah. Um, did you read Marco's article about blog traffic recently? Yes. Uh, it, was, it had the S word in it. I can't. I'll find it later. Um, but yeah, like traffic for a lot of us bloggers uh, mine's not down but it's been stagnant for a year like it for a long time it was growing you know on a exponential curve right now it's just well, leveled off well and, and again it's kind of the reasons that marco points out is that you know, they make it harder for people to discover new things because they're kind of showing you your history back at you right. rather than showing you you know it's, they've, they've kind of honestly the gone They've, exactly. They've kind of gone to me against their, their search routes, which was the whole idea of Google was that it actually was showing, you know, they had their popular, you know, their, their algorithm based on what had the most clicks versus and the most relevance, the most relevance, exactly. Versus, you know, what was ranking the highest based on, you know, some of the Yahoo stuff. They literally and, obscure the web from yep. us now. They literally do. And, and it's all in the, the name of making it customized. But yeah, you, you get into this bubble where it really is. Um, you know, even when you, and, and it's hard, even if you use incognito mode, it's not a true oftentimes test because even then that sometimes, sometimes they're pulling in some cookies for some things. It's like not completely, you know, uh, and it's, it's difficult because, you know, the web I see and the web you see are different. And not only that, but when it comes to blogs, this, it was a very underreported thing, but they got rid of blog search from, from like news. Like you used to be able to like search for a topic and like see yeah. news and it was separated into news sources or you could do like a blog, blog search. Blog search is dead. And so they don't even surface a lot of those personal sites anymore. And so if you're not considered a news site for Google news, if you write about something relevant or recent, you're not even going to show up in that sort of thing, which is how a lot of people discover stuff. Right. And so, by the time by the time you do show up, it's irrelevant. Exactly, and at that precisely, and so it it you know a lot of times you know people coming at you kind of um, organically from certain keywords is is gone if you're a smaller site and publication. It's really a shame, and I think that's honestly why a lot of people have moved to places like Medium and Tumblr, and and even you know stopped blogging in kind of the the, the long form kind of way that they do it now is because. You've got to find this audience in other ways, and Google is no longer can no longer be relied upon to be kind of like the the funneling point. Well, and the one thing that hasn't changed is that larger sites, Mashable included, determine where people in our world determine what they see. When Gruber links somebody, yeah, you know, fifteen thousand people will see it in the next couple hours. 
And that, you know, for, for a lot of bloggers, that's more traffic than they'll get from Google in a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like it's the responsibility, especially of like solo bloggers that have a, a you know, intense popularity. I feel like it's their responsibility to curate the web for the rest of us because no one else is doing it now. Exactly. And the irony there is that was kind of like, you know, Yahoo just celebrated its 20th anniversary. And it started out as like, like David's guide to the web or whatever. And, um, you know, cool links or hot links. And it was a, a hand curated thing for a long time. And I feel like almost we're kind of going back to that point where we've had so much everything that when we can't trust the automated systems to show us what we really want to see, um, you know, we we have to go back to the Kotkeys and the Groovers and the, you know, the Marcos of the world to be able to like, and the Bretts of the world to, to know this stuff. It is good that people like Marco and Gruber and even the larger tech blogs are, they're doing it. I mean, they, they've done it for years and they'll continue to do it. It's just, life's going to get harder for all of us bloggers. Oh, I'm, I'm whining. Let's not whine. Let's go. Let's, let's not go to whine. bed. Let's go. Let's go to bed. Let's, let's get some sleep. That way we can get less sleep and be more productive. Right on. You got to rest up to stay up. Rest up to stay up. <laughs> it's an extended polyphasic sleep pattern. <laughs> I, 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 now, now, now the polyphonic uh, spree is in my head for some reason. Oh, because poly sets you off, I guess. Um, exactly. Polygraph? All right. Well, yeah. Uh, it was great talking to you. Go get some sleep. You deserve it. You too. Thanks, Brett. You too. The system is going down low.